Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Biden's fundamental problem is he's trying to push Bernie Sanders' agenda, and the country didn't elect Bernie Sanders. Uh, that, that's his problem, fundamentally. His, his ambitions exceed his mandate. I think uh, Harold Ford is right. Uh, he's got a 50-50 Senate. Uh, he, he's got a small majority in the House, and he needs an agenda that matches that. And so about $5 trillion worth of stuff is still out there and going to be voted on sometime this month. Most Democrats even think the one $3.5 trillion thing is going to come down. But even if it comes down to $2 trillion, it adds up to $3.5 trillion with the other one, and that's insane because we're broke and have been broke for a very long time. Well, my whole life, really. But, uh, like, really, really, really broke. And we already spent $6 trillion during the pandemic, and we're going to spend another three and a half minimum? Yeah, good. Anyway. Or are we? Or are we? I just don't know where it's going to go because so much of this is not about actually passing the legislation anyway. It's just to be seen fighting for it. It's branding. It's performative. Came across, before I get into some of the polling on that stuff, came across a good thing from Kevin Williamson about how much a trillion is. Love Kevin Williamson. One trillion. Smart. Crazy smart. A trillion minutes ago, Homo sapiens had not even appeared on Earth yet. One trillion minutes ago. Wow. Wow. One trillion hours ago, T-Rex and Triceratops were still going strong. A trillion days ago, the first life on the planet had only just appeared, and it was all single-celled organisms a trillion days ago. Because nobody can wrap their head around a trillion dollars. So, as he says here, one trillion is a lot, and three point five trillion in cash would make a pile of money that would weigh as much as forty Nimitz class aircraft carriers. Is he using one dollar bills? Because that's just silly. I mean, surely at least you go to the ATM and get twenties, five hundred million twenties. Is that right? Anyway, five hundred billion twenties. Uh, the Build Back Better plan—that's what it's called. A lot of Americans don't know what it is, according to a new CBS poll. Now, the um, the lefty media is liking this poll because they're making the argument that, hey, it's just a messaging problem. If we if we could get our act together on the messaging, I think we could sell this thing to people. It's, it's just that people don't know. They would love it if they actually knew what it was. Let me find the information here. This is the greatest country on earth. We must change it fundamentally. Right. Right. Only 10% of Americans describe themselves as knowing a lot about specific things that are in the Build Back Better plan. And well, I don't think 10% of senators could make that claim, honestly. I think you're could right. They? Nobody's read right. the damn thing. True. We don't know what it is. And a majority admit to either not knowing specifics or anything at all. So a 10% say they know a lot of the specifics. Uh, a third say they have a general sense of some of the specifics. I'm probably there, actually, even though I take in a lot of media, just because it's a constantly evolving thing. I would agree. Uh, about 28% say they have a general sense, but not any specifics. And 29% don't know what it's in it at all. So that gives you that. 
Um, but 60% say they have heard that it's $3.5 trillion, so they know the big number. They just don't know what it's for. What kind of way is this to run a country? <laughs> Honey, I think we should spend $40,000. On what? Oh, I'm not that's gonna, too much. I'm, How about 30? Let's just do 30. I'm not going to tell you on what. Are we getting a car or a pool? Or are we getting a dining room set? I'll tell you after we decide on the number. I think it should be 40000 Well, if it's a dining room set, $40,000 is way too much. But if it's a car, well, that's about the price of an average car. I'm not going to tell you what it is until we agree on the money. I want it to be $40,000. Well, that would be a half-idiotic conversation. But you're, you're underrating the idiocy of it. Because both sides are just shouting numbers back at each other. Like I was saying. You say oh, 40. Your wife says, no, no, no. 40 is too much. How about 30? 30? That's way too little. you got to <laughs> at least come up to 38.5 for me. Are you crazy? 34 is as high as I go. And you never even bring up what the hell you're talking about. Now, when you pull the individual items in it, asking the most generous questions you possibly could, CBS... Are you for lowering a, a bill that would lower prescription drug prices? Oh, no, I'm for them being much higher. What's, no, nobody would say that, so, duh. Well, I, just because I, you know, like a lot of you listening, you know, we just intuitively know that lowering prescription drug prices means taxpayers are footing the bill for a whole lot of things, and there's always unforeseen consequences. So I'm immediately a no on these sorts of things, but... If you just ask the general numbnuts, <laughs> if you want lower prices for your drugs, of course they're going to say yes, and 88% of people say yes. And then politicians say, the American people overwhelmingly support what's in this bill. Well, you're not explaining it to people at all. Right. Anyway, right. Uh, do you want Medicare coverage for dental, eye, and hearing also? 84% of people say yes. Because in, because because most people don't have any idea how anything works, they think it's just free. and It like falls out of the sky, and nobody pays for anything. God, I remember my ninth... Gladys, do you play the harp anymore? (laughs) She's on a coffee break. Union thing. She comes right underneath you, Jack. Don't worry about it. Harpists International Union 433 local. (laughs) Harpists Union uh, is a ninth grade that uh, my English teacher, who I really, really liked... Okay, you don't... You paying like twice doesn't make me more happy. You don't get paid per flourish. Wait a minute. I'm looking at the contract. Yes, she does. Yes, another union thing. Damn it. Right. And she's not. Well, she's working on Columbus Day, which is a federal holiday. So she gets time and a half today. Oh, great. Union. Um, My ninth grade English teacher had us write an essay and he wrote up on the board. Here's the topic of the essay. There ain't no free lunch. And because we were all. 14 year olds or whatever you are in ninth grade. Nobody nobody knew what that meant. Um, but it was the most important lesson probably of my life and really of anybody's life. And it's amazing to me how many adults still don't know that. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Somebody paid for it. Now, maybe you agree with the way it was paid for, but it wasn't free. Free should be a, 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 ostracized from society. Yes, canceled. I can't believe so many people still believe that there is such thing as free. It's There is no dollar that the government can spend that hasn't been taken out of the economy. Keep it in mind. Oh, we're spending X amount. That, that money would have been employed in the economy one way or another. Would you like more paid family and medical leave? Three quarters of people say yes. Would you like universal pre-K? Two thirds of people say yes. Having no idea 
what that is, what it means, that it's not about education, or that it's going to be incredibly expensive. They don't have any idea of that. Anyway. Well, and and you know what? I, I want to know on that topic specifically, not to go off on a tangent, but it's really hard to find good child care now. And all universal pre-K is, is is small child child care. And it's a notoriously low-paying profession. They can't find nearly enough people to do it. So if the government mandates it exist, and everybody's expecting to send their kid there for free, what's that going to look like? It's going to be something out of Oliver Twist. So here's the part that I um, that I like the best, though, and this is what I was building up to. Do would the build back better plan help your life, hurt your life, or have no effect? We're talking about spending trillions and trillions of dollars, going way further into debt. Biggest chunk of money any country has ever spent as a part of their economy in the history of mankind. And only a third of people say it would help them. A third say it would hurt them. I'd probably be in that category. And a third say it would have no effect. So two-thirds of Americans say it would either hurt or have no effect. So why the hell are we doing it? Why would we spend more money than any country's ever spent in the history of the world to have two-thirds of people say it's either going to have no effect or hurt? Especially given the fact that we have a presidency, a Senate, and the House that are an eyelash advantage of the Democrat Party. So you have no electoral mandate, you know, you have no legislative slash intellectual mandate, and yet they're trying to turn us into France. A, a, a giganto-sized France, like a novelty-sized France. And then and the regular-sized France doesn't work. So help you or your family. So you could make the argument that um, um, there are some people that would say it will have no effect on their family, but I know it will help other families who are hurting, so I'm okay with it. You could make right. that argument. But right. that wouldn't make sense for the question of will this uh, the Build Back Better plan help or hurt the economy? And only 41% say help. So about 60% of Americans say it will either hurt or have no effect on the economy. We're going to spend all those trillions of dollars. And a, and a, a 20 point win for the side that says it's not going to do any good. In fact, it might hurt. Tell you what, why don't we in, let everybody enjoy another two months of uh, some fine inflation? And then ask the question again. I don't know. Pumping trillions of imaginary borrowed dollars into the economy. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know which direction the polling is going to move as we get closer to the end of the month when they do the voting. But, oh, and uh, you know what? It's it's worth pointing out one more time just because it's so funny. Who was it who pointed out, I think it was on Friday, that uh, the this is all it is, it is free. It's all paid for. There's no cost. It's paid for. Is the dumbest. Oh, Chris Wallace said yeah. it was the dumbest spin he's heard in his entire career. Uh, my kid's college was paid for, but that doesn't mean it was free. My car was paid for, but that doesn't mean it was free. It was enormously expensive. Well, the argument is that it's uh, the rich paying taxes that's paying for it, and uh, most of you all aren't rich, so it's not going to cost you anything. The problem is, and this is a really good argument from the right, I think. You can only tax people once. You can only do that. You know, you can't tax people twice for the same dollar. And so these dollars are going to be spent on this stuff. So you ought to take a good hard look at whether or not this is the stuff you want to spend it on. Because once you tax the rich for this dollar, you can't come back and use that same dollar for your homeless plan or whatever else thing you're wanting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and my objection is, as always, the super rich, I mean the real rich, will be exempt from all this stuff because they have the accountants, they have the tax loopholes written for them in Congress. It will be the entrepreneurs and the small business people who get soaked, which will remove the incentive to build a business and to strive for that day when you have the nice house. Maybe you have a boat or whatever. And, and it's, it's so easy to fall into the envy game and say, oh, those people have plenty of money. We are soak them. If you remove the aspiration for financial success from the United States economic engine, you have poisoned it. You, you, you will kill it or at least make it sputter and run a fraction of the way it did. How do I know? Because that's happened in every single socialist system that's ever been tried. Every one. Maybe we should be spending our money on our U.S. government software systems as the very first software chief has quit saying China has already won the global tech war. Quite a story, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Very blessed in this life, and I'm grateful for everything. Honestly, all the ups, all the downs. I mean, I married the best rapper of all time. Not only that, he's the richest black man in America. A talented, legit genius who gave me four incredible kids. So, when I divorced him, you have to know it came down to just one thing. His personality. (laughs) Wow. That's odd. (laughs) Kim Kardashian uh, hosting Saturday Night Live. Yikes. I don't like his personality. I feel a little uncomfortable with that. All of her jokes were that way about the Kardashian family, about O.J. Simpson, about everything. Anyway, um, so we talked last week about how China was being uh, pretty belligerent with Taiwan, flying all kinds of fighter jets and bombers and stuff like that into their airspace and what the heck's going on with that. Reading a little bit of a follow-up from a newspaper over the weekend, Taiwan's jets scrambled to keep up. While the United States warned China that its provocative military activity undermined regional peace and stability, China did not cower. When a Taiwanese combat air traffic controller radioed one Chinese aircraft, the pilot dismissed the challenge with an obscenity involving the officer's mother. Oh, that's out of bounds. That's destabilizing. So Taiwan gets on the phone. My says, mother's a what? <laughs> so Taiwan gets on the phone with the, the fighter jet, the Chinese fighter pilot, and says, hey, "You're into our space. We uh, ask you to leave at this time." And he says, "Yeah, you, your mother wears combat boots, or whatever." He said, "Yeah, swims after troop ships." Well, it said he included an obscenity. So that's kind of interesting. Now uh, they don't like get to wing it, if you'll pardon the expression. There in China, you have to oh, follow no. orders. It's centrally planned. I mean, did they? I don't know what's going on there. If you are challenged by the Taiwanese air traffic control, be sure to mention that their mothers are sex workers. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me, uh, Colonel, can I say she's an effing sex worker? Even better, Jones. Good idea. Excellent. So the point of that story was that the balance of power has shifted there in the Taiwan uh, situation, and uh, we've done some war gaming that would show China could defeat us if they moved uh, on that. So, you know, that's all a little scary. Then this story out today... The Pentagon's very first software chief quit because China has already won the global tech war. 
Uh, he says he quit because China's already won the tech war, guaranteeing global dominance with some U.S. government systems mere kindergarten level in comparison. Nicholas so Chalin, you're quitting? Come Nick, on. Nicholas Chalin, 37, told the Financial Times on Sunday that there's good reason to be angry at the U.S. for failing to rise to China's cyber threat, even fearing that it puts its children, its his children's future at risk. We have no competing fighting chance against China in 15 to 20 years. Right now, it's already a done deal. It's already over, in my opinion, he told the, the Financial Times. Wow. He says that China will dominate the future of the world by controlling everything from media narratives to geopolitics. We're so far behind, we can't catch up. That's either one of the most important things that has been said in a decade, or... He's a bitter crank. Pretty much only those two options. Well, and I can imagine dealing with Congress and the bureaucracies and all that could turn you into a bitter crank. But that's extraordinary. Would, we need to dig into this. Somebody needs to. Would you be shocked if you found out that we were that behind in our computer systems and the government? Actually, just... yeah. Yeah, I would be. Especially in the DOD. I mean, that's that's horrifying. That we're kind of sloppy and behindish, that I believe, but that the the game is over and we're doomed, that's uh, that's a stretch. I hope he's but wrong. if it's true, I want to know about it. I'm willing to you know swallow the bitter pill. I hope I hope he's a bitter crank, like you said. Gee, money, boy, straight out of spy movies. You hear about that guy, American uh, engineer, working out with our sub force, tried to sell our sub secrets, and they busted him straight out of. Uh, Straight out of a spy movie. Dead drops and encrypted codes, but they busted them. You got to put them up against the wall and shoot them. Yep. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, my father was and still is such an influence and inspiration to me, and I credit him with really opening up my eyes to racial injustice. It's because of him that I met my first black person. (laughs) Want to take a stab in the dark at who it was? Um, I know it's sort of weird to remember the first black person you met, but OJ does leave a mark. Or several. Or none at all. I still don't know. Pretty well-delivered. That's some fine murder humor. <laughs> pretty well-delivered jokes from Kim Kardashian. Yipes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a uh, report just came out. The uh, two safe ground sites near downtown Sacramento, California. It's uh, homeless sites, camps, like, cleared away, and you get to pitch your tent here. Well, part of the idea was that they flood them with services as well and uh, and, and uh, offer the people, you know, help of this, that, and the other sort and try to get in, into permanent housing. And they are bragging that over the past six months, they've had a 23% success rate in getting people off the street, at least temporarily. So the big victory is 23%, meaning 77% are like, no, we, we're, we're fine. We're good. We're staying. Or, or they can't be helped. Well, so I was uh, listening to NPR, and they had a story on the uh, the big, what is it called, Hotel Key, or what's the name of the program? Oh, so it's, yeah, it's a, Project Room Key? Yeah, I think that's right. It's a turn, all, like that. turn all these dilapidated or empty buildings and hotels into housing for the homeless. How is that not just going to end up being like... Um, uh, 
junkie slums? Well, yeah, like shanty towns. How are you yeah. just not going to have streets of old hotels that are now full permanently of junkies? How is no, that that's not exact, going to happen? That's exactly what it'll be. Yeah. I'll be shocked if it just doesn't end up that way. You know, it reminds me of like the defund the police thing we were talking about earlier. It was so obvious to all of us that, wait a minute, you have rising crime rates, you have dangerous streets. The problem isn't that you have too many cops. If there needs to be more training or de-escalation or whatever, that's fine. I think everybody's in favor of that. But defunding the police is crazy. It's idiotic. And sure enough, as we were discussing earlier, all those cities that did that are now frantically refunding and extra funding the police. Because they're they're just drowning in crime, and it was so obvious. If if you just make these former hotels permanent junkie dwellings, you're going to have horrific crime, and filth, and God knows what else. Debaucheries. Well, and at a, I'm guessing just an insane cost. Oh yeah. Yeah, well, and a never-ending cost. And, you know, I, I do appreciate at least the city of Sacramento is trying to keep track of their success rate. I commend them on that because our gripe is always there's no accountability. Nobody even asks if these programs work. Well, at least they're trying to figure it out. Uh, 23% is, I'm sorry, yeah, 23%, I wouldn't call it great. Uh, in fact, uh, this writer at... Um, uh, the California Globe points out that uh, a 77% failure rate, uh, if this was a uh, class paper and you got a 23 on it, <laughs> they'd give you an F- minus or invent the grade of G. <laughs> so, wow, at what cost, friends? At what cost? We can dig into this more at, at some future point, but. Uh, if you're just tuning in, I disclosed, I, Joe Getty, disclosed earlier that I found out a number of uh, different, uh, really interesting things about my family over the weekend. I was at a reunion of my mom's cousins, partly celebrating her life and that of her cousin who also passed this year. I found out I am directly descended from not only slaveholders, uh, cotton plantation folks in South Carolina, but the first guy to sign the Articles of Secession in South Carolina, hmm. which was the first state to secede. So I am Johnny Reb to my core. Except that I'm also apparently a descendant of Lincoln's Secretary of War. So I'm very conflicted. Huh. But uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know. The South will rise again? I don't, I don't mean it. I can say the words. It might. Well, actually, the South is rising again, isn't it? With everybody moving to the, the, uh, you know, the South and the Sun Belt so, and such. So the slaveholders, how recently in your past? Like your grandfather? 1975. Or? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was back in the slaveholding days. Well, right, but how, ma- but how many how many how many generations would that be? Your dad's 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 dad? Would well, that it, get was you there? My, it was on my mom's okay. side. I know my grandfather was born in 1912. Presumably, his parents were born sometime around 1895. So 65, so it's probably like five, six generations back. And then several generations before that, because I happen to know that branch of the family's been in the country since pre-revolution hmm. in the South. Cotton plantation, slaves. So you got yep. the, the slaveholding genes. <laughs> Are you a geneticist? Is, is that a thing? I don't think that's a thing. But as I said earlier, 
I don't feel responsible for that even any more than, you know, if my great, 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 whatever grandfather, you know, were told, hey, you're going to have a great, 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 great grandson named Joe, and he's he's kind of an ass. <laughs> He'd think, what's that got to do with me? What do you want me to say? It's not my problem. And, you know, likewise, I just, what am I going to do? Well, I don't, I, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I vow from this moment forward, to own no slaves. Well, I, the the current thinking, right, is that your lineage benefited from slavery. Yes. And that's why you've done okay in your life. And so you need to repay that back to black families that were exploited for the benefit of your family. Right, right. Which which is not a completely nuts attitude, although certainly after all the time that has passed, it gets incredibly difficult to process reparations for the reasons we've discussed many times. But secondly, again, I mentioned this earlier in hour two of the show. Yeah, hour two. Um, my family went completely broke during the Depression. They were uh, kind of big wheels in the town, bankers and such, went completely broke. And I had to start again uh, from nothing, kind of scattered up and down the East Coast trying to make a living. So I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I tell you this. As a kid, we had no money. So if I inherited generationally or something, generational wealth, I sure as hell didn't see it as we were in a basement apartment in Chicagoland that leaked so much there were freaking mushrooms growing in the carpet. So didn't I, feel rich. I think you need to start a scholarship or something. <laughs> I'll get, all right, you know what? I'll look into that. A scholarship for what? For talk show hosts? Right. I mean, the, right. Yeah, I well, you know, I've I've tried I've tried to uh, give to the community in various ways. Maybe it was my collective generational guilt that motivated me. Again, I have owned no slaves. I will own no slaves. I am announcing a complete break from my ancestors who lived a century and a half ago. And your dad hasn't either, right? Not that I recall. <laughs> no, my dad. No, my dad's side of the family are a bunch of poor mix. A bunch of Irishmen who came over on the boat. It's my mom's, my mom's side that are, hmm. Actually, they're very nice people. I enjoyed it. For slaveholders? Not the people there this weekend. It's 150 years ago. They're dead. They're long dead. Okay. I disavow. I disavow. All right. I don't know. I just you seem different now. <laughs> now we know this. All right then. Michael is not surprised that you were uh, from a slaveholding background. <laughs> None of the staff that has ever worked here is surprised. I don't understand your point at all. Michael silence is a I have no comment. There's a little church mouse in there, oddly enough. I do re- <laughs> I, 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 we're on dangerous ground. Here. I do Moving rem- along. I do remember when Ben Affleck, the actor, was on whatever that show was, <laughs> where they go back right. into your ancestry and they found out he's descended from slaveholders and he just put his head down. Just, oh my god. Oh no. You know, and then tried to have that episode not air. I mean, which is just dumb. It's just oh, so dumb. It's so epically dumb. Yeah. Dude, you don't need to feel bad about it. Nobody, unless they're really, really stupid, is going to think any less of you. Right. It's just, well, come on. Like, in my family, I got slaveholders. I got one of the guys who saved the union. I got, like everybody, you have criminals and saints 
and 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 good people and bad people and and, and people who died in infancy and the rest of it. What, what I'm supposed to take on that guilt? Please, I'm too busy. Got stuff on my calendar. Well, reading this new book about the French Revolution, one of the things he points out is that uh, the the France had more slaves at the very time that we were starting, you know, really getting going with slavery in the United States. France had more slaves than the U.S. thirteen states did. Their thing in France was they were uncomfortable with it, so they didn't have, and there was no reason to have slaves in France because they didn't have crops that required it. But they had lots and lots of black slaves in uh, modern-day Haiti and various other places to pick crops that slave labor did make it, uh, you know, a lot easier to make gazillions of dollars. But they had lots of slaves. They just didn't want them around France. Didn't need them, and it was made them feel uncomfortable. But there's yeah, lots yeah. of places in the world that have had slaves. Including, oh, all of them. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's horrific, and, and thank God we ended it when we did. Wish it would would have ended sooner. But the idea that it's the linchpin on all modern history is just, it, well, it... it is uh, in opposition to the facts. Well, while we're doing that kind of history, that kind of, uh, you know, taking a look at things, revisionist history or whatever, NBA coach Greg Popovich of the uh, San Antonio Spurs talking about, did you know today was Columbus Day? We haven't talked that much about it. Um, It's also Indigenous Peoples Day and and Canadian Thanksgiving. So uh, happy Thanksgiving, eh? Greg Potovich, NBA coach, said that honoring Columbus is like being proud of Hitler. It's nothing like that. Stick to the X's and O's, Pop, you grumpy son of a... Mm, I'm a Christian man. I'm not going to use strong language on the air. But I, for one, am not proud of Columbus or not proud of Columbus. But um, And I'd be all for getting away with all the federal holidays where federal workers get the day off and we all pay for it. Because I don't understand the point. Greg Popovich... Steve Kerr, all you guys, shut up. <laughs> Just shut up and coach basketball. Yes. You come off as dumbasses. And I'll tell you what it is. It's anti-Italian discrimination. That's right, Silvio. Mm-hmm. The, well, you talked about it earlier in the show. If you want to listen to Hour 1 of the Armstrong and Getty Show, you can get the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Joe talked about how Columbus Day started as just a political maneuver to get Italian votes. It had nothing to do, really, with honoring Columbus. No, no. It was an excuse to do something nice for the Italians, who are a beleaguered and oppressed minority. Right, which is interesting. Uh, we're going to finish strong. Our text line, anybody still stuck from their Southwest flight getting canceled? Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. This state fires droughts, and now we have an oil spill right off the coast here. L.A. residents are furious. The last thing we want is oil in our sewage. (laughs) Uh, Waning moments of the Armstrong and Getty show. Uh, I was happy to see this. It it fits in with something we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago. So David French, who writes for the Dispatch in his Sunday French Press, was talking about how women's groups are coming together with evangelical groups, which are not always on the same side of things, but they're on on the same side of this uh, recognizing that 
porn is damaging in the country and we need to do something about it. And he actually talked about the Michelle Goldberg piece in the New York Times that I read some from last week, where it would seem that young women are starting to come to the conclusion, which has been, I think, obvious for quite some time, that this whole, hey, porn is great and being slutty is great and all this is great. Younger women are deciding, I, I, I don't think we're getting a good deal here. I don't think this is working out to our benefit. Yeah, yeah, culturally, here, here. culturally speaking, and uh, and uh, there's some movement. David French writes from the right, left, and center to culturally decide that eh, this whole porn everywhere all the time and it's just fine is not okay. It's not fine. It's exploitive. It's bad for women. It's bad for guys. Sure. It's bad for families. It's bad for everybody. And while I don't know, there's I don't know how much you can do about it legally. I, st- I still don't understand why there couldn't be a major move toward a particular domain where porn goes that you just encourage strongly people to use. And then yeah. it'd be very easy to have that blocked from your, you know, your kids' computers, your own computers. Or but anyway, aside from that, a, a, a shift in the cultural attitude to where, hey, this is not cool. The fact that your husband looks at porn all the time or your kids look at porn or everybody in college is looking at porn, you know, the idea that that's just fine that shift culture, kind of like drunk driving, went from it's okay to it's really not okay. And it, it changed, you know, views of drunk driving. Well, at the very least, I think we need to recognize and understand that porn is everywhere. It is readily available, and little boys will come across it, especially. And I think that's just got to become part of parenting. Here's what's wrong with porn. Here's what's what's uh, misleading about it. Here's why it can damage relationships. It, look, if you're going to look at it, uh, here's what you need to know. You have to educate little boys that that's not that's not a man and woman who care about or, you know, whatever combination thereof. Uh, that's not a man and woman who really care about each other, expressing it physically. That's that's not the way it works at all. That's a bizarre circus version of it. I think, you know. That's got to go along with the here's what the parts are and here's what they do part of sex education. Now, I'm not sure that ought to be taking place in schools. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm not comfortable with that until maybe high school. But well, do uh, you think uh, do you agree that there could be a cultural shift to where it's just seen as not cool? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, And that I think that would give parents especially the confidence to say what needs to be said about it. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm going to say those things anyway, but, um, yeah, it certainly is harder when it seems to be so incredibly accepted and joked about and treated as, you know, just like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. No harm. No harm done. There's a hole in the show and you know it's time to go. It's time for final thoughts on your feet. Here's your host for final thoughts, Joe Getty. Hey, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew, starting with our technical director, in the control room, Michelangelo. Michael, final thought? Yeah, well, last year at this very time, Jack and Joe were attending my wedding. And so today is my first uh, wedding anniversary with my wife. And so happy anniversary to my wife. I'm sure she's listening. Congratulations. I can't believe it's been a year. Yeah, congrats, you two crazy kids. Yeah, it's gone by quick. Our behind-the-scenes producer, young Alex, has a final thought. Alex? You know, I made the mistake of Googling myself this weekend, and it brought up some very nice things, but I've also been getting a very large following on my Twitter recently from some fellow uh, A&G fans, so it's been nice, and uh, they've said some very nice things about me, too. Yeah, Googling yourself can have pluses and minuses. 
<laughs> yeah, I'd say. Jack, do you have a final thought for us? Took my son to the Giants-Dodgers game, game two, on Saturday night, and it was really, really a good time. Just a little pricey <laughs> all the way around. Yeah. Went and got some pizza and Cokes and spent 55 bucks and that all sort of thing. But it was uh, it was, it was a really, really cool experience, and I'm so glad we did it, and I think we'll both remember it the rest of our lives. Yep, yep. If you're going to spend your money on your kids, give them experiences, not stuff. That's what I would say. Uh, and my second thought is, especially in terms of young people, uh, one of the uh, g- ongoing conversations uh, with my extended family over the weekend was about mental health and how it's not been great at times. Uh, quite a few members of my extended family. Be honest with yourselves and your family about your mental health. Uh, try to have a culture of discussing that sort of thing with your kids, um, however you see fit. Uh, that's one of the big leaps forward I think we've made as a society in the last, you know, 50 years. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank. So little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We have hot links for you. A lot of great clicks. You can email us mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Get yourself some swag. Buy a T-shirt. We will see you tomorrow with all the latest. God bless America. I'm strong and getty. And when it's over, it is over. It is over. How do you like that? Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Words. This is a mess. You dare to dance in the path of greatness. And boom goes the dynamite. Go away. Yeah. Oh, so uh, let's go out with a bang. So pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get a better attitude. Turn that frown upside down. You're depressed? Cheer up. Cheer up. Smile. That's you got I... anxiety? Relax. <laughs> On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.